0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the 26th episode of The Liam McCollum Show. Today I'll be talking to Charlene Sleeper, a missing and murdered indigenous peoples activist out of Billings, Montana. But first, before we get into the interview, I just wanted to correct um, a mistake I made in the the previous interview. I kept referring to the electors within uh, particular states within the Electoral College as the electorate, and that is definitely wrong. Uh, so i just wanted to correct that and shout out my high school civics teacher mr Deming, for pointing that out totally corrected me he's a he's a great man and definitely influenced a lot of my beliefs we've had a lot of intellectual conversations over the last couple of years and i just want to shout him out and also give credit to him for catching that i'm gonna have to convince him to come onto the show one of these days but i want to hop into this interview and um i hope you guys enjoy it it's uh it's a conversation just about the mmip movement Um, how the coronavirus has affected it, and what Charlene is doing to spread the message and organize the MMIP movement across the entire country, as well as um, Montana, and start the conversation in Billings. So here she is. Charlene Sleeper, welcome to the show. Hello,
1: nice to meet you, or nice to see you again. Yeah. (laughs) I'm uh, nervous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's nice to talk to you. Um, If you want to just introduce yourself to the audience, that would be great. Hi,
1: um, my name is Charlene sleeper. I'm a missing and murdered indigenous peoples advocate based out of Billings, Montana. Um, I'm enrolled in the southern Cheyenne Arapaho tribe of Oklahoma. However, I was uh, culturally raised pro. um, So I am considered what's two spirit within uh, a number of indigenous tribes, which is uh, I belong to the LGBT community. And um, I, I live and work in Billings.
0: Well, I do want to talk about the MMIP movement and your involvement in it, but um, something that I wonder about is how the indigenous community has been affected by COVID-19.
1: COVID-19, um, it's actually placed a lot of challenges on our, our existing infrastructure as far as our healthcare system goes. Um, the healthcare system on reservation is run through the Indian Health Services, which is a federally um, um, run program similar to Veterans Affairs. Um, Indian Health Services is a is, is, uh, I want to say just on the same par as as Veterans Affairs as far as issues go when it comes to uh, facilitating uh, health care services. And so um, right now what we've done on a number of reservations in Montana, which I'm inc- incredibly proud of as far as the work goes when it comes to uh, mitigating this uh, crisis right now or the uh, pandemic right now, um, is that a lot of them uh, tribes have initiated their own uh, COVID-19 protocols that are far more restrictive and um, effective than what we've seen in a lot of communities in Montana um, off reservation. Um, so there, I haven't seen one reservation with any, any kind of um, restrictions as far as incoming or outgoing peoples um, so far. And so we're not seeing the uh, second wave uh, on reservation. We do have cases on reservation, but it isn't the severity that you're seeing in other communities. Um, I I believe Northern Cheyenne country, which is one of the tribes that I, I more primarily focus on, Uh, Has three active cases, um, but two of those are actually only registered to the reservation because the residents themselves are um, um, their own personal voter registration, for instance, is is located on reservation. However, they're being uh, monitored in Billings, Montana, for instance. So, uh, realistically, we only have one active case on Northern Cheyenne Reservation. So, part of the challenges that we have is that, um, I mean, granted, we see a lot of coverage in terms of medical supplies when it comes to PPE, as well as ventilators uh, in the media. However, uh, those particular resources are even more difficult for uh, Indigenous people to uh, get access to on reservations. So that's why those protocols are remaining in place, because uh, we have highly limited access to resources at
0: this point. Yeah. And are those because of certain restrictions through um, the Indian Health Affairs?
1: Yeah, it's um basically, and I feel like this is kind of the general uh consensus in terms of just America as a whole. Um, we were poorly prepared for any kind of pandemic. Um, and, and that's that can be seen across the board. And so anything that affects America is as disastrously as this particular pandemic has been mitigated, um, it'll affect indigenous communities even exponentially so. So mm-hmm.
0: I see. Well, now to get into um, the MMIP movement, you kind of want to just introduce um, what it is and give some people some information about it, if there are any active cases going on right now. And then I think maybe oh, after yeah. that, uh, we could get into your three initiatives that you've kind of organized.
1: Certainly, certainly. Um, the MMIP crisis is uh, uh, an abbreviation for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples. Uh, movement. Originally, it started uh, in Canada in regards to uh, the uh, severe situations they have uh, within their country as First Nations people. Um, When it moved down to Montana, um, it actually aligned with work that was already taking place under a woman uh, called, her name is uh, Melinda Harris. Melinda Harris's daughter uh, was... uh, um, brutally murdered on reservation in 2013, um, and she, of her, in and of herself, took it upon herself to uh, find justice for her daughter. And so that inspired the community to get involved with uh, not only missing persons and murdered persons, but to begin examining um, kind of their cultural um needs when it comes to preventing these these situations well it just so happened that it aligned with the mmiw movement moving south into america from canada so they overlapped each other and all of her work has been brushed under uh the missing and murdered indigenous women's movement out of canada um the reason why i changed my language personally to missing and murdered indigenous peoples is because having um helped organize a number of uh grassroots uh, protests, and attending a number of grassroots protests, um, a lot of the feedback from the community members themselves were requesting that we included um, um, men, as well as non binary people. So it's out of respect for the community request that I changed my language to people. Um, What it is, is is essentially, from my understanding, is it's a big red and that's our our sacred color that we're using for our movement, the big red distress beacon um, for cultural loss within our communities. Um, And that cultural loss came about due to the uh, ethnic cleansing and genocide of indigenous peoples, as well as the uh, assimilation process that we're still trying to recover from through uh, the boarding school era, as well as the adoption era uh, issues that we uh, faced. Uh, I want to say in the early part of the 19th or 20th century. Um, And we're still dealing with the intergenerational effects from that um, in that even my own parents were subjected to the assimilation process on reservation um, in that they were uh, essentially brutalized in a school setting um, and and had their their cultures beaten out of them to the degree that uh, it perpetuated uh, and it's still perpetuating for a lot of people, uh, currently. Um, so that's kind of the gist of what the MMIP crisis is. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, are there any cases right now?
1: There's still active cases that we have right now that are being, um, investigated by law enforcement offices. Um, the current one that we're dealing with as of right now, as far as the movement go, isn't Montana based mm. Um, and this is something that, uh, we see as far as uh, the missing and murdered indigenous people's movement is we'll see a case come out of another indigenous location and we'll activate our, ne- our, um, social networks to elevate that particular awareness cause. Um, so I'm, I'm going to actually, uh, speak to, uh, uh, private first class. Vanessa gian is, is the current focus of a lot of activists at this point. Right. Um, her particular case comes out of, um, uh, Hood, military based in Texas. Um, she was actually found to have been uh, brutally slain, and her body was, um, concealed on base. They just now located her mm-hmm. and recovered her. Um, right now what the family is asking for, and this is how I function as an advocate is I go directly to the family and figure out what they're requesting for as far as, um, needs go when it comes to addressing whatever it is they're dealing with systemically in their communities. That's the best way to help any family that's dealing with any type of uh, distressing situation is right. just to see what they ask for. Um, they're requesting that we as activists um, demand a congressional um, investigation into Fort Hood's operations. They're feeling that there's a need for um, facility reform, um, and that it needs to either be shut down or all of the people there investigated as to the cover-up of Vanessa Gann's disappearance and, um, uh, murder because mm. it, it does from their perspective feel as though it was a cover-up. Right. So, so that's currently what we're working on. The way that people can help within their current, um, or within their communities is to, to speak to their senators and governors to push this issue at a federal level because she was uh, an active military um, person of color.
0: So. Right. And that kind of goes towards your initiatives that you have. So um, I guess I don't know what would be best for you and how to explain them, But if maybe you could go um uh, talk about each initiative. Maybe start with the intertribal community engagement project, and then uh, we also okay. have the cross cultural engagement project, and then the search and rescue res ops project. Okay, let's
1: see. Head it in a different order. Let me. Find it. Yeah,
0: okay. whatever, whatever so, order works best for you.
1: Oh, okay. Well I'm going to start since I was talking about federal stuff. I'm going to start at the uh, the MMIP fillings, uh, working too. Train and equip Northern Cheyenne Search and Rescue and Arrow Creek, Arrow Creek Neighborhood Watch. Okay. Uh, Northern Cheyenne Search and Creek uh, Search and Rescue. Uh, my notes are a little bit. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. Is a uh, volunteer-based, tribal-based search and rescue group that was formed uh, by this phenomenal tribal leader by the name of Teresa Small. Absolutely, just amazing woman. Um, she uh, also does the disaster and emergency services under. Northern Cheyenne tribe. So she wears a lot of hats down there um, and, and just she does this amazing work. She's she's the one that everybody's been calling any time an indigenous girl or a person has gone missing on reservation um, all the way back to Hannah Harris. Mm. And so she's the one that formed uh, the NC Search and Rescue as a response to the community demand for um, some type of um, resource be uh, developed to uh, meet the immediate need for um, locating missing children, essentially. Um, the Arrow Creek Neighborhood Watch is uh, was created by a gentleman by the name of Carrie Lance. Now, Carrie Lance is a controversial figure in, in our, our circles. I absolutely love him. Um, He's very uh, opinionated but extremely effective in what he's been able to do in terms of creating this neighborhood watch on reservation in prior Montana. Um, For him to be able to take that up as a a community policing effort to address the lack of law enforcement on reservation has been just an amazing uh, undertaking and the fact that he's been able to manage it since the time that he initiated it has been impressive uh, because we do are, we are dealing with a huge lack of resources on reservation. Um, he did that actually in response to the double homicide that took place a couple of years ago where uh, two indigenous people had stopped to pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the road and ultimately it led to both of them being murdered. Um, and their daughter had escaped. Uh, So uh, in response to that, as well as the high uh, rate of crime and the lack of uh, police um, intervention in prior Montana, he took it upon himself to develop his team out there. Um, So they work collaboratively to assist each other in search and rescue, as well as a number of other things. Um, Just recently, uh, Northern Cheyenne Search and Rescue did a, a body recovery out in uh, Northern Cheyenne country um, and the person, it was just a bad accident that had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So the initiative for that is that the Montana State Indian Caucus uh, recently revealed that it'll be uh, supporting for a four-bill package this next state legislative session. Um, The four-bill package, uh, two of the bills, extend the Missing Indigenous Persons Task Force. Now, part of the reason for that is because we did uh, have to cancel a number of our our, uh, task force meetings uh, due to COVID-19. So that was one of the impacts on the work that we're um, trying to mitigate as far as uh, uh, extending the uh, MIP task force. One of them is to create a Missing Indigenous Persons Case Review Commission um, to identify policy improvement areas Um, which is something that needs to happen amongst experienced people that are um, knowledgeable in the areas of law enforcement. Um, And it has to be uh, kind of kept at a confidential level. So we need to create a specific commission in order to address uh, those policy improvement areas. Uh, The last bill is one that I'm actually pretty excited for. It's uh, one to support search and rescue community training. Um, From my understanding last night, uh, it seems to be At the state level there isn't a lot of lobbying and support for law enforcement across the board be it uh, community-led initiatives all the way up to law enforcement uh, like Billings Police Department and it's just a lack of community engagement and and lobbying for um, any of these causes and so that's going to be the area that I'm going to be focusing on, as far as getting my two teams out, Northern Cheyenne and Crow Country, equipped uh, with proper training, like like evidence handling if we happen upon evidence, or mm-hmm. um, proper media relations, or you know, just um, basic uh, first aid to the level that we'll need it if we uh, happen upon somebody that's injured or, or something like that. Um, so that's the first initiative that we're working on. Is mm-hmm. a lot. Um, the second one is. We're in the development phase for what's called the Elk River Intertribal Center. Um, In short, we're referring to it as ERIC. Um, ERIC looks to address the root causes which lead to not only MMIP cases, but all contributing factors to the crisis, which includes chronic street inebriation, domestic violence, um, substance abuse, and economic ignorance. Um, And I I say that as as lightly as I can, but um, in my experience with indigenous communities, uh, we don't have a strong economic knowledge when it comes to uh, functioning within a capitalism. Um, And part of that is because we are a socialist type of community. Um, in that we're interconnected in a way where we're highly reliant on one another for mm-hmm. resources. Um, we still do the trading and bartering thing. Um, and I think part of that is is due to the fact that economics are highly intimidating <laughs> and very competitive. Um, and so I'm trying to make it more community friendly as far as being able to teach uh, indigenous communities how to be self-sustaining. Um, Just recently, MMIP Billings uh, shifted focus after the uh, Black Lives Matter protests to raising awareness about um, the methamphetamine crisis and Mm. the alcohol dependence we have um, within our communities. The uh, biggest issue that the uh, Billings Police Department is contending with are those two um, drug-related crimes. Primes. So um, anything that has to do with methamphetamines is an extremely volatile situation that you're getting into from onset. Um, and so even just raising awareness for methamphetamine is going to be challenged. Um, just because of uh, how uh, pervasive it is, not only on reservation, but within Billings, Montana itself. And so um, trying to even just figure out how to begin this dialogue in a healthy fashion is is definitely a challenge we're um, examining right now. And we want to make sure that we do it in the most responsible fashion um, because that's specifically what the Billings Police Department is needing is for communities to address methamphetamine. Um, issues as well as alcohol related crimes Um, and from what I'm understanding as far as methamphetamine goes when it comes to indigenous communities is uh, methamphetamine dealers and manufacturers It's one of the few economic options that they have on reservation to make money and I think that's the case that we're finding in uh, more um, urban settings as well Is that the very lucrative business and so if I was able to possibly create options for Uh, legal entrepreneurship on reservation, that would be of benefit, not only within the realms of building an economic infrastructure, but supporting um, Indigenous peoples' um, knowledge when it comes to economics overall. Um, So that's the second initiative, which is a lot, that's a huge thing too. Um, The third is is the fun part. Uh, It's a faith-based initiative uh, called the Cross-Community Engagement Pilot Project. And it's a pilot project because it's the first one in the state of Montana and it is under scientific study for its effectiveness. Um, The cross-community engagement uh, project itself is uh, a project put together by Councilman uh, uh, Mike Yakowicz. and what he did was went through and he selected indigenous leaders and there's a group of indigenous leaders working out their communication issues with each other. And there's a group of non-Indigenous leaders, which can include Black people and everybody else along the board, um, working out their communication issues. And I believe it's this next month we're gonna be coming together uh, to work out our communication issues uh, across the board um, and begin building a community leader rapport as far as not only trust, but um, networking. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing there. Um, The overall goal for that work, which has always been a goal of my own for my own personal work, um, is to foster peace and reconciliation by building uh, relationships, also known as bridges. Um, So yeah, that's that's pretty much what that's doing. Uh, I, I enjoy it because I'm a person of a spiritual faith. And uh, it's really good to know that there's other really strong Indigenous leaders out there willing to step up to the plate of opening up this difficult dialogue. And I'm super excited to meet the other side of the equation, because I don't know who they are, Mm -hmm. um, but I want to see who he put together. Because if it's as exciting as the Indigenous side of the uh, equation, it's it's going to be a pretty interesting development as far as everything goes. Right. And and what I'm thinking, um, they're working towards is the, as far as the global Fe- peace foundation goes, is reconciling um, historical animosities, um, which in our particular region is going to be uh, cowboys versus Indians. Um, so we're going to have to lance a pretty big historical wound in order to begin addressing um, race relations here in our our area.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, well, those are all. I go on
1: really, <laughs> Yeah, those are all
0: really great, and um, you actually brought up some stuff about uh, um, that actually brought up some more questions that I didn't have previously, and I was wondering with um, you you talked about maybe bringing more economics, um, or like education within the reservations. Uh, are there any restrictions um on on these reservations that don't allow for? uh, Can you talk a little bit about those?
1: You know, I'm not fully knowledgeable as far as the restrictions go just yet, just Mm -hmm. because that isn't my particular wheelhouse. Let me see. I work more within law enforcement, so... economic restrictions. That's something I myself need to be educated on because right. I'm, I'm just as guilty as the rest of my um, uh, cohorts in, in uh, social justice and that I've been lax in that area. Mm-hmm. But I do know that it does have some, I do know that there's um, a way to get a bank established on reservation because uh, the first interstate bank in Billings, Montana, which is an amazing bank. I absolutely adore that bank just because of its, um, Community outreach, as well as its um, philanthropy that it does within indigenous communities. It did get one established in Lame Deer, Montana. So I want to be able to open up dialogue with uh, First Interstate Bank in order to understand how that was uh, uh, brought to fruition, because I'm imagining it's pretty complex as far as jurisdiction issues go, um, and be able to duplicate that on all reservations in Montana. So right. um, it would—they would they would probably, I don't want to speak for them, they would probably be open to um, educating Indigenous peoples into um, some sort of economic knowledge, even at just the basic level, be it financial planning or budgeting, um, in order to empower us Mm -hmm. from the way that I understand a lot of their work and of the direction that they go. Um, So I'll have to actually get back to you
0: on that. Yeah, yeah, no no problem. Um, But you referenced that you were kind of talking to the Billings PD and you had a panel with them last night. Do you want to talk about how that went?
1: Yeah, it went amazingly. I was super impressed. I mean, uh, Billings Police Department, uh, Chief St. John, is a really approachable uh, human being overall. Um, I'm actually a Citizens Police Academy alumni. Uh, I went and took their, I believe it was an eight-week course, um, to understand how their departments work and the way that uh, their uh, budgets work. Well, no, we didn't go over budget. We went over um, just their resources. Um, But uh, Chief St. John, he is just excellent at navigating these difficult conversations, because you can imagine in law enforcement, your skin gets pretty thick. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's he actually had spoke to creating, um, I, I believe he called it Chat with the Chief." I want to say um, where he's going to be doing I don't know if it's going to be a podcast format, but some kind of social media format due to COVID-19 issues um, in that he wants to start community engaging and building up that community of rapport right now. That was actually one of the discussions that we had last night was how to um, support. Uh, Chief St. John in his need to uh, build that community rapport and that community trust in the the era of Black Lives Matter. Um, And part of it is that um, he needs the manpower in order to do it. He just recently lost, I think he said in January, five staff positions. Uh, He was just recently cut, and this is noted in the Billings Gazette, um, his budget was just recently cut, and so they're completely reliant on uh, a safety mill levy that they're hoping is going to pass in uh, September or November, I can't remember which month, um, to make up for those budget cuts. Um, and so he's working right now as of July 1st under the new budget, which has him limited in a lot of uh, community outreach capacities. Um, and, and for one, I know that uh, police officers' time is very valuable. Um, So I would like to be able to not only um, support them in getting better um, opportunities for training, but to be able to support them in their community outreach uh, capacities to build that rapport across cultures. Um, I mean, if they don't have the manpower to do it, we can't really task them with the accountability um, if we're not empowering them to be able to even uh, approach the subject, let alone um, not supporting them when they have Uh, budget needs, you Mm -hmm. know, and 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 from the way that I it sounds right now is that a number of community leaders in Billings, Montana are supportive um, of the uh, safety mill levy and a lot of them are just now being brought into the awareness of the complexity of the issue. Um because I'm I'm finding, I mean, granted we deal with our economic ignorance on restoration, it's even prevalent in in Billings, Montana and that a lot of the community isn't engaged with even understanding uh, the budget um, at a city level, let alone at a state level, even more so at a federal level. And so that was kind of the discussion last night was how to get people involved with not only understanding um, the, uh, lobbying effect that you can have on your local legislators on, on up to federal legislative letter legislators, but even comprehending the, the complexity of the maze that is public policy, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it has to be a community led initiative as far as that work goes. And, and he's running into it within the realms of law enforcement. Um, I know, uh, councilwoman Penny Ronning is running into it within the realms of city council, um. And uh I believe it oh his last name is Upin up Upham, U P H A M. And I believe he's the superintendent of schools here in Billings, Montana. He was there as well. He's running into it within the realms of, of uh public schooling. And so what we're seeing right now of uh, is the unfortunate phenomenon that there's a huge lack of community engagement in terms of addressing indigenous people's communities um, issues but um, everything across the board when it comes to understanding um, the fiscal impact of not having enough of the budget to um, address um, cross-cultural exchange or community engagement and so I mean, uh, granted, there's an, a grander nas- national dialogue happening right now in terms of police brutality, which I fully acknowledge should, mm-hmm. um, and that the Black Lives Matter um, movement is pushed to the forefront. Um, the need to address police brutality, which I do fully support. Um, the uh, local problems within Billings, Montana, are more focused on indigenous to um, law enforcement Um mm, communication as well as support. So we have a different narrative within the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples Movement. Um, We do support Black Lives Matter in terms of addressing Black urban issues, but uh, we have a whole different type of um, issue that we're needing to focus on locally, which is um, healing these relations and understanding how to support one another and how to uh, get the community involved in a way to where they realize that Um, These decisions that we're making at these leadership levels will impact them. It's going to impact their taxes. It's going to impact the crime in their neighborhood. Um, It's going to impact them personally when they have to call a police officer to deal with the crime that's happened to them. And so the more people we can encourage getting involved at these tables and all of these leaders that we had put together last night are more than open to engaging in this dialogue. Um, the better, but I'm at a loss as far as how to uh, get the community engaged to even talk about the Billings Police Department budget, um, let alone the Missing and Murdered Indigenous People bill package um, that we need to have passed this next legislative session. And and for the record, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples is, especially in Billings, is nonpartisan. I will work with whoever I need to work with, be it if you're a pro-Trump supporter, if you're a libertarian, if you're, you know, super far snowflake left, just kidding. I love you guys. I love my progressive Democrat. I don't care. I will work with everybody at the table as long as we can get the real issues addressed, which in my realm of existence is bringing missing indigenous children home.
0: Right. And you and I had had kind of talked about this, um, cancel culture in prior conversations. And, uh, we had talked about how no one really actually focuses on the solutions and it's all about, you know, words and stuff like this. And I saw that you got a, you got in a debate about, um, all lives matter and that phrase in the indigenous community. Do you kind of want to, um, give your opinion about that?
1: Yeah, um, I, I've had this conversation, even even with a libertarian, and I, I love him, um, <laughs> um, in that with the All Lives Matter debate, debate in and of itself, I, I respect it. I respect what they're trying to do in terms of um, bringing people into awareness and knowledge. Um, however, how it impacts the indigenous community specifically is that um, all lives do matter to us. You know, all of the work that I'm doing. It's income-based, and so everything that I accomplished within Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples in Billings, Montana will um, benefit all people. And and that's the realm that I think of because um, we do believe that all lives do matter, but the language that we tend to use isn't so much that language. Um, Many of us are of the spiritual belief that life is sacred. And so the way that translates over to English from our um, sometimes bilingual background is all lives matter. <laughs> and so that's that's been one of the greatest debates that I've watched happening online is that if you tend to not agree with people to use uh, Black Lives Matter specific language, um, then you do get targeted for um, not using the proper language. Um, um, way to say things, which is uh, it completely derails the overall conversation that we need to be having um, as a united people here in America overall, because um, it gets a a lot of times it gets pretty violent as far as these conversations are going. And like, I can completely understand where an individual is coming from when they're saying, Hey, we need to be respecting police officers. I completely agree with that. Their lives matter too. Um, And in that. That's why I'm supporting the Billing Safety Mill levy um, is because they need better resources. Uh, and I may tear up here because this is upsetting. Uh, we did lose one of our police officers in Billings, Montana to suicide. And that is upsetting because I work within a realm that I've lost people to suicide. And when push comes to shove, if I'm a leader and I lose one of mine, to something that the, they were needing a long time ago. And I need all of these people at the table to support their mental health because they're the ones going out there dealing with these crisis situations such as uh, really violent levels of domestic violence up to homicide, extremely violent levels of um, methamphetamine addiction up to homicide. Um, Then me as a citizen, I need to be at those tables helping these police officers understand, um, uh, helping these police officers get supports in the places that they need it, Um, be it if they need more manpower, be it if they need more training. I do not care what when push comes to shove if anybody picks up that phone and calls is calls in a 911 call and is requesting a police officer well you need to be at those tables helping them get the resources that they need to respond to those phone calls in the end and so the fact that we're we're sitting here derailing our conversation in such a way to where we're completely distracted from the overall issues, and police officers are losing their lives right now because they're so overwrought with the trauma that they witness at a daily basis. Then we're being counterproductive to our own cause, um, and 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 if we're attacking one another as far as um, just the language we're using online to elevate not only um, Indigenous police brutality crimes or Black brutality, police brutality crimes or white police brutality crimes, because I found some cases where there is uh, instances of white police brutality crimes, um, then we're not getting to the root causes. And the root causes are are what's actually going to need to be addressed in the long term to even begin to come back from um, the Black Lives Matter right. Like, that's the healing work that has to happen across the board. So, I mean, we can sit here and debate each other on proper language, or we can sit here at these tables, such as the ones that were created last night by community leaders in Billings, Montana, and get to the real work, which is actually economic. Like, in the end, it comes down to economic. Mm -hmm. And that's where my interest lies. So, I I don't really have a vested interest in having those um, um, debates online as far as proper language usage. And it's unfortunate that um, so many really brilliant people are discouraged from engaging in community dialogue, because we do have those individuals out there that will go and cancel culture you um, if you don't say it just the right way. Um, and, and, and that's really one of the biggest challenges that I have as far as finding people that are conducive to my work is that um, I, we're not going to agree on everything. Granted, there's probably things I've said in this conversation that not everybody agrees with me on, um, and that's fine. Let's talk it out like adults. Um, But granted, I'm willing to kind of debate things here and there. Um, We need to be coming to each other on equal ground with mutual respect and love and um, um, hope for our collective future. Because if we can't work together and if we allowed something as simple as um, just the phrasing of, of simple words to derail the overall dialogue, well, then we're not gonna get much done. And right now, you know, we have a community of, of global children that are looking to their adults within their communities for guidance in these very difficult times. And it's time that we start behaving that way, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and you, <laughs> you had said that some um, tribal leaders are actually being canceled. Because-
1: tribal leaders, yeah yeah like um there are if you can imagine this there are indigenous tribal leaders who are highly effective in their communities that do these beautiful um levels of just engagement and um, awareness for human trafficking and missing and murdered indigenous people um who are capitalists that are trump supporters um they are the first ones to drop their differences and help me find missing children and that has been the case this whole time um however they're extremely fearful i actually just spoke to one they're extremely fearful of letting their political beliefs be known within um our circles because they're terrified that it's going to affect their business and i'm like i completely understand that because. Um, I've seen that it played out. There's, there is an indigenous woman in uh, New Mexico who came out as a pro-Trump reporter um, who's running for, I believe, oh, I should have had this information. I <laughs> apologize. Um, I believe she's running for state governor or senator or something important like that. Um, instead of the indigenous community getting behind her, when she revealed that she was a pro-Trump supporter, um, she ended up cancel culture into the ground um, to a degree, which was, in my opinion, rather abusive. So I can completely understand why indigenous people are in the closet, so to speak, as far as their pro-Trump stances. Um, And and it's unfortunate because, I mean, these leaders feel feel personally attacked when uh, they see this cancel culture take place. And uh, I mean, uh, one of them is a woman you know, who has done so much for her community with no even acknowledgment sometimes. Um, and, and it absolutely just breaks her heart because she knows if she comes out of this political closet, um, she'll lose her income. And it's like I, my advice to her is just stay in that closet until the climate, you know, gets to a degree where we can actually have these uh discussions without uh harming one another to the point that we do at this point
0: right exactly and now to kind of pivot a little bit um i think you may have referenced it i'm not entirely sure um but there is the new uh tribal police force on the crow reservation Oh um now is that is that what you were talking about with the kenny lance thing or is that something different
1: Oh, Carrie Land? Yeah. That's Carrie something Land. different. That's actually a formal tribal police force. Okay. I was super uh, impressed with it. Uh, Pro Tribal Chairman AJ Not Afraid. Um, Revealed, I believe it was June 26. They did a press release um, saying that they're currently uh, working under, I believe, a MOU, um, and I'm not sure exactly all of the the knowledge behind that. It's mm-hmm. Out of my wheelhouse, um, to uh, what's called 638 contract uh, police services on, on reservation away from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, so basically, they created their own uh, tribal police force and they have their own cruisers and everything. It's pretty impressive. I haven't seen the full scope of the operations yet. Um, this is an attempt to uh, put tribal police who are community engaged and invest in the community on the ground to begin addressing the uh, this enormous amount of issues that we deal with on reservation. Um, from my understanding, the way the community feels down there um, is that the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is under um, the uh, Department of Interior, which is the federal uh, level of uh, tribe uh, policing um, that's uh, put into effect on reservations when there is no option for tribal police, um, they're not impressed with the Crow BIA's response to missing and murdered Indigenous people um, or a lot of the other crimes that happen down there. A lot of times, and this is kind of the sentiment I've gathered from community conversations, is that those police officers are put into those positions just to get the training. And then once they get the training out of the way, they move off. Um, And so once they move off of reservation, well, we've lost that community engagement level, if if it was there even minimally. um, And then we're retraining a new officer Uh, So part of the uh, Crow tribal uh, initiative as far as creating its own police department is to maintain our own police department on reservation who is long-term invested in the community. Um, And that was something that the Billings Police Department Chief St. John had brought up was uh, the need to have that investment in community and that Billings Police Department is effective in creating that investment and they would like the opportunity to do more of it. Um, They just need the resources to Uh, create those community bridges. And that's where my support lies, is is Mm -hmm. getting them those resources, as well as on uh, tribal reservations as well that have taken up the huge endeavor of creating their own tribal police forces. um, Just because I believe that's where the solutions to a lot of issues come when it uh, comes to investigating missing persons and uh, murdered persons. Police uh, in the end are only gonna be responding to the crimes once they're committed. Um, so it has to be a community led initiative to address police brutality overall um, or any kind of um, kind of lack thereof. Um, just because and this is where I work from when it comes to missing and murdered indigenous people's buildings, is we need to be putting more into preventative services, right? Um, yeah, because the police in the end, they're just responding to the call once the crime has happened. I mean, mm. how did that crime even come to be is is the question. And that's where I want to actually focus a lot of my work is because a lot of times these crimes are um, taking or um, the reason why they, they exist is because just we as a people um, don't cope very well with conflict um, and we don't cope very well with grief. And this is, I'm speaking for every type of person I meet, not just indigenous people. Um, So I would like to be able to create better mental health services in dealing with at least those two issues um, when it comes to prevention areas. Um, And I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit. But yeah, that's where I was going with that.
0: Yeah, no, that's really great. Because I actually I had an interview, I don't know if you've heard of him with Commander Dale Brown out of Detroit. And he he started a security service in Detroit when they kind of defunded the police um, when the city went bankrupt. And... Uh he said something very similar and he said you know law enforcement they're there to enforce laws they don't you know Mm -hmm. they aren't necessarily protecting and it was kind of like a culture shock when he showed up to detroit and his service is actually to like prevent you know what something he said is like i'm not concerned with who raped who killed and who pillaged you know i want to stop that from even happening and i found that very interesting um and i'll definitely link that to the bottom of this episode, if people want to listen, yeah. So just to move on, um, for my own sake, uh, I know that you you met with some libertarians, um, at the their libertarian convention in town.
1: Oh yeah, was fun?
0: Yeah, and uh, do you want to talk about kind of what you brought up there? And um, uh, what I find interesting is, um, all of this and part of the reason I'm so interested in what you have going on is what libertarians see is that you know there's all of these federal oversights, like the Indian health affairs and all these things. And they're, they're kind of invasive yet. They don't offer a lot of help when, cause they're not close to home. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. what we notice is like, you know, people like you who are close to the issue are more able to like come up with these initiatives and these solutions. And I just commend you for all of that. And it, it's super impressive. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So libertarian conference, and I don't know if sit down, listens to this. or or what his current uh, uh, status is right now. But if you do, hi, Sid. Um, That was actually a really fun little uh, community engagement 101 project, not only for myself, but for them as well. Um, I was approached by Sid to uh, work as a fill-in for um, somebody that had to cancel due to an issue in the family. And so I I really quick put together a a Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples 101 presentation to kind of... um, Run it as a little bit of a test on um, these little, this little bit of guinea pig libertarians that I had <laughs> access to. So it was I was I was totally having fun with this thing, um, and I really appreciated the fact that uh, it had directly approached me and requested um, this specific type of information. And he, and then he uh, almost immediately offered to help. Um, and that's something that's extremely rare as far as Billing fontana goes, I was like, kind of blown away by just how approachable he was in terms of opening up the dialogue, because it is extremely difficult and complex dialogue to have. Um, and so what I did was I, I took kind of a, a four-panel presentation explaining what MMIP is, um, a little bit on a possible initiative that we had at that time um, that's currently on pause, um, how, what. It, quote-unquote, you know, I'm going to go ahead and use the language, um, white advocates can help within the realms of their um, experience. Um, and then, oh, I can't remember what the other one was. Um, but those were the three main areas that I needed to focus on anyway. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just kind of uh, ran it all by them and, to see not only in a, it, how they would respond to it, but if it was easily digestible in the ways that I had to present it. Um, because, I mean, granted, you can see the distress beacon uh, with our awareness, you know, uh, protests and whatnot. Um, it's so complex and very heavy um, um, knowledge to gain that sometimes it's overwhelming. Um, and, and his idea, Sid's idea was that um, we would be able to hopefully uh, cross community exchange between himself and I. Um, what libertarianism is um, and how libertarians are willing to help which was within the search and rescue resource option um, and that they would um, be able to do some volunteer or even maybe just knowledge sharing kind Mm -hmm. of thing um, with my teams which I'm going to be taking him up on very shortly. Um, (laughs) And so uh, part of uh, what that conversation was too was kind of to figure out how to discuss uh, white advocacy and how to encourage uh, white advocates to get engaged with indigenous communities. That is something that needs to be happening pretty regularly. Um, But yeah, it was was totally fun and I really appreciated it because like at that convention, I think that was the first time I felt so welcomed by um, a group of people um, that were very curious. And um, I want to say there was a lot of kindness and a lot of compassion for the work at hand. Um, Granted, there's a lot of confusion still because we haven't uh, been able to put together a full um, kind of resource for people to uh, explore in terms of uh, statistics and all of that stuff. Um, It was was interesting to see how willing the Libertarian Party was in even just opening up the dialogue because that is something that's really rare in Billings, Montana. I'm thinking that if I were to approach the Republicans in Billings, Montana, they may be open to opening up the dialogue, especially if I'm using um, kind of an economic framework, um, because they did approach one of my main team members once they found out that they were a Trump supporter mm. <laughs> as far as coming to one of the meetings. Right. Uh, what one of the uh, groups that I'm currently experiencing a little bit of difficulty with in, in Billings, Montana is the democratic progressive group. Um, and part of that is uh, there's, uh, we're seeing a lot of infighting right now um, as far as that circle goes. And uh, for instance, we are seeing the all lives matter, black lives matter debate go, go on. And uh, it's derailing uh, the, the work that I'm doing. Um, and it's causing a lot of um, turmoil in terms of uh, friendship conflict. Um, And then we're seeing, um, I want to say, and I don't know if I'm using the term correctly. Um, We're seeing the far right weaponize the term Karen (laughs) against uh, democratic progressive um, and using it in a derogatory way towards democratic progressive. Um, So I I understand the, the concern there um but uh that's in the end you have to have thick skin when you deal within the realms of law enforcement that i do um because i mean we recover uh missing peoples and sometimes you're not finding a live person right. um so I, I don't have time for that dialogue right now <laughs> but the libertarians seem to be able to manage the difficult uh, dialogue in terms of um, understanding law enforcement as well as economic policy Um, And then uh, helping with, and the really impressive thing with the libertarians is uh, they're actually on their own volition uh, supporting tribal sovereignty because they're, uh, a party that understands sovereignty, and I, from my understanding, I haven't been through Sid had uh, joked that he was going to create a Libertarian 101 class, <laughs> so I can go through his class. Um, I'm not fully in the realm of understanding as far as uh, what uh, the perspective is within the Libertarian Party for sovereignty overall, but they're extremely supportive of our tribal sovereignty, which is a huge huge issue for us in that we want to protect protect our um, land and we want to protect our resources and be able to um, utilize those to the extent that we feel is necessary for them. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. I, cause I was actually going to bring that up how you in one of our previous conversations, you said that tribal leaders have that same sense of sovereignty that libertarians do. And I I find that really interesting too, because I, I think You know one of the main tenets of libertarianism is that you know individuals have a sovereignty and i mean people within communities like if they freely associate that's that that is definitely something that um they support so i'm glad that they really reached out to you i think i think that that is a really good relationship that everyone could benefit from
1: yeah and like i told them that i was like congratulations you're the first formal party to uh engage Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Billings, so I will always always uh, champion you guys for uh, opening up this dialogue and be very thankful for the level of uh, just humanity they had for me, because I do run into a lot of uh, discrimination and racism in Billings, and I do run into a lot of egos within the uh, GOP and the uh, democratic side of things, so I am really grateful not only for them, but for you inviting me onto this podcast, and Um, asking really difficult questions and and communicating it out using your platform because Um, the more people we have listening and willing to assist us with addressing the uh, missing and murdered indigenous people's crisis overall, the better. And uh, I'm so terribly thankful that I caught your attention because I feel like uh, this not only for myself was uh, beneficial in me learning how to um, engage a a bigger platform, but I feel like maybe you can keep these conversations going and continue educating people um, as far as just the complexity of the overall issue.
0: Right, absolutely, and I'm very thankful for this relationship. Thank you for coming yeah, on. Yeah, I'm excited. But yeah, I think I think we're um, done here. And uh, I mean, if if there's anything else that you want to um, tell people, and if you want to share where they can find you, certain social media, or if you have a website or something like that, please do, and then we can let you go.
1: You know, um, I, as of right now, I don't want to officially roll anything out without the prior approvals in place, mm-hmm. um, but I am on Facebook, so I am open to always um, having more libertarians in my life, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the way that you guys think, and um, yeah, we can start there as far as building more uh, relationships with the party when it comes to uh, missing and murdered indigenous people's feelings, and then once I have the marketing and promotional materials available. That we're currently working on. Um, I'll be happy to bring those to the next conversation we have.
0: Okay, sounds great.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so thank much. you so much.
0: And I'll, I'll talk to you later.
1: Bye. It's the weekend, we can let go, it's the full get-go. get-go,
0: get-go, go Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I'm definitely gonna have Charlene on again in the future. She's a great guest. And I also wanted to shout out my friend Daniel for providing the photography for the podcast art that I did this episode. Um, You should be able to see it on every platform except Apple Podcasts, I believe. Um, It's a picture of a candle being held at a vigil. I believe it was uh, a woman who got murdered last year. She was found. um, And Daniel and I worked together at the Montana Kaiman in Missoula. Um, he's he's a great photographer, so I'll link to all of his work and you should be able to find that under every podcast episode, uh, the show notes page, if you just click on the details. I also use some pictures of Charlene taken by Anna Page with the Billings Gazette. So. I'll also link to those. Um, I'll have three different covers for my podcast and uh, you'll see all three in the YouTube video. You can find The Liam McCollum Show on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Um, Please give me a like, subscribe, share, whatever you can to support me. And please come back next time. Thank you.